I on? <laughs> okay. It seems like just a little while we were talking about trials and tribulations at the beginning of James. And this is a short book, but such a valuable book for instruction on how to live. It seems to me now that the trials and tribulations part was part of the uh, get your attention. And what we get into today, we're, we're talking about listening and doing. Would you stand with me as we read from James 1, 19 through 27? My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. What a promise. If anybody considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Thank you for your reverend attention to the word of the Lord. <laughs> I wonder sometimes why God called me to this. I, I get distracted by the craziest things. You know that the guy who wrote the song Joy Unspeakable, his name was Barney? I just saw that on the thing this morning. I, I've never even known a Barney. Barney Fife, but I didn't know Barney personally. I knew some people whose last name was Barney. And you think the, the first part of that name is Barn. Oh, well, anyway. Okay, now we can get back on track, or I can anyway. Hey, I want to thank you for this. Um, I've said in the past, there are some things that we know we're, you know, we're, we talk about wanting to know God's will and, you know, for you, Dan is a little different than me and Maeve a little different than me and, but we know there's some things that we all supposed to do as Christ followers and it, when, in regards to the church, we're supposed to show up we're supposed to serve, we're supposed to give, and we're supposed to pray. There's, that applies to everybody. Amen? Okay. 
So I want to thank you for your faithfulness in that regard. All right, we're going to talk about the Word today. Um, I want to share this story with you from John MacArthur. Many of you know that name. Um, He wrote a book called How to Get the Most from God's Word. It's kind of what James is talking about today. He shares this story. A young couple from another church came to one of our assistant pastors for counseling about marital problems that started soon after their wedding. After just a few minutes of interviewing the two, he could see they were miles apart in tastes, ideas, and opinions. What made the two of you get married, he asked. Their response, a sermon our pastor preached on Joshua conquering Jericho. That's why I popped the question. Okay. He said, what did that have to do with getting married? Well, explained the husband, Joshua and his army claimed Jericho, marched around it seven times, and the walls fell down. Our pastor told us that if we trusted God, claimed a certain young girl, and marched around her seven times, the walls of her heart would collapse and she would be willing to marry. So I did it and we got married. Our assistant pastor did what I would have done. He stared in disbelief. (laughs) Was this man putting him on? No, indeed. In fact, several couples in that particular church had got married on the same basis after hearing the same sermon. This amazing story illustrates that, first of all, people can become extremely confused on what the Bible means and what to do about it. And second, the interpretation and application of the Scripture is crucial to life decisions. That, now you have to, you have to say that the story of Jericho is a giant leap to where this guy took it, isn't it? Woo. I would never have seen that in there, but... But this is an example of someone who took a passage of Scripture and interpreted it, interpreted it in a way that God never intended. Perhaps his listeners, if his listeners had been students of the Word themselves, they would never have accepted that interpretation and taken the action they did. Folks, there is no godliness without a vibrant relationship with the Word of God. It is the Word of God that directs us. It is the Word of God that instructs us. It is the Word of God that gives us hope in despair and strength in adversity. The book of James, and I I think I made a reference to this when we first started this series, may be the most practical book in the New Testament. I've always thought of it as, here's how the rubber meets the road. You know, we get a lot of theology in other places. Well, this is what it looks like when it's lived out. I think that's what James is telling us, uh, very much of what he's telling us in this book. It's, his book helps us connect the dots between faith and practice, between what we believe and how we should act. Our problem sometimes is, though, that we say we believe one thing, but we act another Anybody ever struggled with that? I have. We say we should believe patient. Be, we say we should believe, be patient, but 
We believe we should be patient, but what do we do when we're in a long line at the grocery store or have to wait to be served at the restaurant? We say we should, we believe we should be pure, but we look at things that sully our minds. Let's put it that way. We say that we believe we should be content with whatever God gives us, but we keep chasing the illusions and false promises of materialism. So, so the passage we're studying this morning is about aligning our lives with God's Word. Alignment is what empowers us. God has, has all His power to offer us, but our lives have to be in alignment with His Word. So, instead of beginning at the beginning of this passage, I'm going to jump down to this center section, verses 22 through 25. And and it begins this way, Do not merely listen to the Word. Do not merely listen to the Word. We we have a privilege that the, the audience James was addressing did not have. We can also read the Word of God. See, at the times James penned his letter, most of the New Testament had not yet been written. And even when we, when what we call the Old Testament was available, it was not in a form like our Bible that was readily available to the general population. Not, in other words, only limited numbers of people had access to it. So, it was truly a matter of hearing the Word, read to them or spoken to them by a rabbi or by one of the New Testament pastors, apostles, or missionaries. Very often it was a word spoken by those who did have access to the written Word or had been taught the teachings of Jesus or even been with Jesus personally. So, to put it in a more modern context, if if James were writing to us today, he might say, do not merely listen to the Word that is read and preached on Sunday morning, or do not merely read it in your devotions and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. See, there's a big difference between merely knowing what the Word says as compared to knowing what the Word says and then doing what the Word says. So James gives us a picture of what it is like when someone listens to or reads the Word and does not do what it says. He says it's like a man who looks in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what he looks like. Now, I've wondered about that illustration because I've looked in a mirror often enough to know what I look like. I mean, I I know that I have brown hair and brown eyes, and I'm not that good looking. I know that. So I have to think, why why do we really look in a mirror? Well, we, we look in a mirror to check ourselves out. 
Okay, not to say, well, is my hair still brown? Well, sometimes, I guess, yeah, that could be an issue. I'm, it's not all brown anymore, but that's, we look, you know, it's like, is my hair still combed? Uh, it, you know, is there dirt on my face? Uh, yeah. Okay. You know what I'm saying? We don't like any of those. So we look in the mirror to check ourselves out. And I think that's what, what, well, so I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror and I, and I look in the mirror and I say, ooh, I need a shave. My hair needs combing. My face needs washing. I need to make some changes in my appearance. But if I walk away and forget what I've seen that needs changing, then looking in the mirror did me no good. Right? So James says that Scripture is like that mirror we look into. It tells us what we should do or not do, how we live to please God and love others. But if we merely look to or read the Word without doing what it says, then it's like looking into a mirror, then walking away and forgetting what we need to do to improve our appearance. Make sense? So, rather, we are to do what then? So it, it, James says, instead of listening and forgetting immediately, or reading and forgetting immediately, we are to look intently into the law that gives freedom. Now, I think it's no accident that James uses the phrase, look intently into. The dictionary says that intent means directed with strained or eager attention, concentrated, having the mind or attention fixedly directed on something, engrossed. We'd be engrossed in the Word. In other words, this is more, James is talking here about more than some sort of casual or cursory reading of the Scripture. Uh, just doing it because, you know, I can check it off the list as having done my devotions today. It's more than doing your daily Bible reading just for the sake of doing it. James says you need to read the Word to know it, to understand it, and to do what it says. You need to be intent into learning what the Scripture is saying to you. We need to be engrossed in and concentrate on the Word of God when we read it. And then he speaks about the, it being the law of freedom. The law of freedom? It's kind of a paradox, right? I mean, that's how some people look at it. See, some people have the wrong idea of God and His Word. They think that God is no fun, that He wants to take away all our toys and relegate us to a life of empty and boring servitude. Oh, Christians, bleh. How many songs put forth the idea, I'm talking about secular songs, that God's way and God's people are stifling and enslaving? How many of you remember uh, who Billy, Billy Joel? Remember Billy Joel? Billy Joel had a, a song called Only the Good Die Young. And here's, here's an example of this attitude I just talked about. Here's, here's a line from it. 
I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. There you go. So, God's this giant killjoy in people's minds, and living by His Word is this boring, just make it through life kind of a thing. Now, the Bible does tell us that sin is pleasurable, but only for a while. Eventually, it enslaves and renders us helpless. But the person who looks intently into the law of freedom and perseveres in it, not just listening, but responding to it and walking in it, what about that person? It says he is blessed or she is blessed. There's blessing that comes out of walking according to the truth of God's Word. That person has and experiences the favor of God in their life. And there's nothing, folks, that compares to the favor of God. So you want the favor of God? Read the Word with the intent to do what it says. You know what? You could encapsulate that by saying, Obedience. Be, be obedient. Read the Word with the intent to do what it says. Listen to the preaching of the Word with the intent to do what it says. Study the Word of God and do what it says. Memorize the Word of God. And let its incredible, mysterious power provide what no thing or no one this side of heaven can provide. Jesus summed up what James just said, I think, in this passage from Matthew chapter 7. Verses 24 through 27. And this is a familiar story to most of us, where Jesus said, Anyone who hears and obeys these teachings of mine is like a wise person who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, rivers flooded, and winds beat against this house, but it did not fall because it was built on solid rock. A foundation of the truth of God's Word. Anyone who hears my teachings and does not obey them is like a per foolish person who built a house on sand. The rain poured down, the rivers flooded, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Finally, it fell with a crash. Ah, the joy of living for Jesus. Obedience to Scripture. So now we take a step back then to verses 19 through 21. When we do Scripture, the result is righteousness. When we do Scripture, do Scripture, the result is righteousness. Um, interesting how he starts this here. My irritation, my anger, my outbursts of frustration do not achieve the righteousness of God. That's basically what he's telling us. Notice the progression here that he uses. Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Be slow to become angry. The idea is, I think, that if I focus on listening instead of responding, lashing out, or rebuttal, then I am less likely to respond in anger, but with self-control. 
You know, sometimes um, it, it depends on the situation, but especially if we're feeling like we're attacked, we're so eager to defend ourselves that we don't hear the whole story. We just kind of like to jump into the middle and respond. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. The warning here is that inappropriate anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. You know, there is appropriate anger, amen? There's appropriate anger, okay? Appropriate anger has motivated people over the years to do incredible things. William Wilberforce of England, a prime example, he saw the sin, the injustice of slavery, his anger over that issue motivated him. It took about 40 years, but eventually got them to to outlaw slavery in England. So his anger over that injustice motivated him in the right... That's not what, what James is talking about. He's not talking about what we might call righteous anger. He's talking about the kind that does not achieve the righteousness of God. And by the way, not only that, our anger can ruin our witness in a heartbeat. James then says, therefore, therefore, okay, verse 21, therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Therefore, referring to what he has just said about anger, get rid of these things as well. All moral evil and the, excuse me, all moral filth and the evil that is prevalent. And I'm thinking that if these things are present in life, moral filth and evil, they might tend us toward anger. I think it kind of goes with the territory. So instead, Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So avoid these things. Humbly accept the truth of God's word which is planted in you which can save you. And it's when we take the word of God to heart that then we are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And we avoid these things that God said should be avoided. Now, he, said, he talks about the word planted in you. In some versions it says implanted in you. It's the only time that word is used in the New Testament. And it literally means engrafted. It means engrafted. It's the idea that the word has been planted in our hearts and it has brought us to salvation. Remember Jesus told this, the parable of the sower? He sowed seed indiscriminately. Some fell on rocks and didn't take root. Some fell on shallow soil but died out. Some fell in soil with thorns that choked it out. But some fell on fertile soil and it grew and bore fruit. The Word of the Gospel has taken root in the hearts of most of us here today and it has brought us salvation. But we are admonished here to receive the Word. That's odd. How do we receive what's already in us? Here's what it means. When Jesus would go throughout Galilee teaching, many times the Bible says that they received His Word gladly. So it, the idea to water, to receive it, is the idea to water and cultivate and cherish the Word in us by accepting what it says. 
In other words, receiving it gladly. And that will produce the fruit of righteousness in our lives. And living the way God instructs righteously results in the blessing of God upon our lives. He blesses those who obey His Word. Right? And then we're going to jump down to verses 26 and 27. If anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, oh, there we're talking about that thing again with the mouth. And he talks about it later in his book again. We'll, we'll get to that. If anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that our God accept, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from becoming polluted by the world. Scripture lived is right religion. Scripture lived is right religion. James caps this section of his letter off with a kind of summary statement. If your belief, your religion, doesn't impact how you act, then it's as worthless as soap for a pig. That's my interpretation. If your religion doesn't impact how you act, it's as worthless as soap for a pig. No, genuine faith shows up in genuine life. And again, James kind of backs up where he began talking about the tongue. Instead of being someone who pops off with our mouth, be someone who lives the Christ life like in an honoring Christ life like Christ like life. Say that five times in rapid succession. In a God honoring way. Don't take on the values of this world. Live out the values of the person of Jesus Christ. Humility. Self-denial, stepping in and helping those who are less fortunate. That's what he's telling us. James says that an evidence that one is applying God's Word to their lives is how one who is strong deals with those who are weak. The Bible calls for the strong to use their strengths to minister to the needs of the weak. From Psalm 31, verses 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless. See that they get justice. Then Isaiah 58:10. Give your food to the hungry and care for the homeless. Then your light will shine in the dark. And by the way, we're called to be salt and light, are we not? So what James says here reminds us of the words of Jesus to those who were notorious for hearing, studying, memorizing, teaching, preaching the Word, but never applying God's Word to their lives. The scribes and the Pharisees who Jesus called hypocrites. He said to them, Woe to you, scribes, and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses 
And for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. These men were students of the scripture. They knew vast passages by heart. Yet there was an unjustifiable gap between what they knew and how they lived. The hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees would result in condemnation. And by contrast, note how James says that the complete application of God's Word, both publicly and privately, both inwardly and outwardly, results in us living lives of genuine sincerity that will receive God's condemnation. A commendation. Whew. Well, I just shot my whole sermon to pieces, didn't I? <laughs> Those words are a lot alike. In some... <laughs> well, yes, you are listening. Thank you. You caught that little blunder. Religion that our God accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself be from being polluted by the world. Keep oneself... So, first of all, we're, we're told that we're supposed to be concerned about those who go without. That means spiritually, that means materially and physically. We're supposed to be concerned. Jesus said that He called them the least of these. And if we don't have a concern that results in action, I mean, you can, have, you can be as concerned as you want to be. If it doesn't result in action, then your concern means nothing, right? So he says, this is one way that you live out the Word of God. This is right religion. When you look after orphans and widows in their distress. But he also says that you're to keep to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, I see these two. Do not be polluted by the world. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And what, what, folks, is the greatest factor in doing in that? It's the Word of God as the Holy Spirit uses that in our hearts and lives to transform our thinking. We see the world through a different lens than those who are not Christ followers. It's, it's a fact of life. We see it through the lens of Scripture. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's talking about knowing and living God's Word. In 1 Thessalonians 5.22 it says, Avoid every kind of evil. Don't be polluted by the world. Now I know that it's difficult to do sometimes. We live in a world where some of these things are unavoidable. Right? And again, that's where the importance of God's Word entrenched in our lives and minds becomes so important because that is the thing that guards us against buying into what we're seeing and hearing. 
We have the truth ingrained in our lives. Avoid every kind of evil. And how do we know what evil we should avoid? Well, the Bible tells us, doesn't it? The Bible tells us. So because we love God, we love others and seek to meet their needs. Because we love God and desire to please Him, we avoid every kind of evil. We do not allow ourselves to be polluted by the world. And there is a concerted effort by the enemy of our souls to pollute our lives. A concerted effort by the enemy of our souls to pollute our lives. And folks, when we seek to love God by loving others, and seek to love God by pleasing Him and avoiding every kind of evil, this is religion that is pure and faultless in God's eyes. This is right religion. This is the way we are supposed to live. And all the people said, Thank you, God. What if He said, uh, Listen, I want you to live in a way that's pleasing to me, but I'm not going to tell you how to do that. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of pagan religions out there. That's, that's exactly the, the, the shaky ground that they live on. They're freaked out about how they please their God. And, and something that's kind of been thrown over on the God we serve that's true of the gods that they think they serve is this. He's just waiting to... Right? That's what people tell us about God you to step out of line and he's got a big bat and there's people who live under that thinking and, and they've thrown it over on the God we serve and we know it's not true at all God loves us he loves to show us mercy he loves to extend grace to us he's incredibly patient with us that's something I thank God for all the time. Thank you for your patience with me. If you're the kind of God that people say you are, I'd have been squashed a long time ago. But that's not who He is, is it? And yet, many of the pagan gods of James' day, that was how they felt their God dealt with them. And you never knew quite what it took to please them. Thank you, God, that you tell us right here how to do that. How to live a religion that is right religion. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word to us. And may it be more than something that is just your word that we read and listen to. As James has advised us and encouraged us, and admonished us today, but may it be something that just infiltrates our lives, that we become engrossed in, that we concentrate on, that we look intently into, so that we not only know what it says, but we do what it says. Not hearers of the Word only, but doers of the Word. And Father, when we do Your Word daily, consistently, faithfully, it's obedience. And obedience is pleasing to you, and obedience is right religion. And oh God, how we need right religion in the world we live in. Help us, help us, Father, to be faithful.
people who are faithful to the truth of your word in every way. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you for your attention.